What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Annie Goodman and Matthew Zach. Woohoo! Nothing is anything wrong with that. Monday, April 15th, Tax Day, and welcome to the Super Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary. I am a 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And my name is Annie Goodman, journalist, young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Suck, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. On tonight's show, we're doing caregiving in young adult land. The impact of caregiving has untold consequences on physical, emotional, and financial health. This amplified for young adults. Join three cancer caregivers, Lou Greenswag, Chad Rockman, and Tanya Farman, who will share their stories. And also, Sally Pope of Pure Romance. Okay, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, a nonprofit organization that empowers young adults affected by cancer online at stupidcancer.org and a stupid cancer welcome to any and all of our first time listeners here on the stupid cancer show as we come to you live from the chemo deck our fabulous studio in new york city all righty hi hello how's it going annie matthew You're looking well thank you it's nice and cool in this room tonight i know it's a little chilly it's not boiling hot I'd say it's nipply, but I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Inappropriate? Uh, I don't know. My dad's in the room. We can do oh, one of these. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> and we're joined by Allie Ward. Hello. The illustrious VP of Programming, the Queen Bee, Supreme Being of the OMG Cancer Summit. Thank you. As we are bearing down with, what, 10 days? I refuse to look at my countdown app, but I think it's nine or less. Oh, okay. Awesome. Because you have a countdown app. 
I have an actual app, which I've had for several months, and it was fine when it was triple digits or even when it was like 60 days plus, but once I've started going into the teens and now the single digits, I'm starting to freak out. And the name of this app is called the Heart Attack Indicator? <laughs> the the uh, Pulse Rate Increaser app, something like that. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Well, tonight's a very special show. It's all about caregiving, mm-hmm. and we'll announce them later because they're part of the segment. But we're joined live in studio by two of two people very, very uh, important to me. The first one is uh, Chad Rackman. He's the husband of a woman named Jen Rackman, who are re- we're very good friends of my wife and ours uh, for many, many years now. Uh, and uh, Jen had ovarian cancer a couple of years ago, and uh, they had issues of uh, fertility and issues of caregiving, obviously, and, and what the husband's role was and the underserved needs of the what he went through caring for Jen the whole time. And now they're proud parents of a beautiful uh, child, and it's extraordinary success story. So welcome, Chad. Thank you very much. And the one and only, uh, he who hath given birth to me via my mother, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the illustrious Lou Greenswag. Hi, Dad. Hi, good evening. How are you? Wonderful. Yes. Yes. You got to say your life is in golf statement. If it starts with G, it's got to be good. Grandchildren are good. Golf is good. Gavatka is good. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Exactly, Gavatka. Well, anyway, we have to uh, we have to take a serious moment because we want to pay our respects to everyone uh, impacted by the. Um, I mean, th- this show is, is timeless. It lives on on the internet. But for those listening. Uh, on on today, April fifteenth, twenty thirteen, there was a bombing at the Boston Marathon, and uh, we we believe several people have lost their lives. There have been numerous casualties, uh, people in hospitals, many many wounded. So we just want to take a moment and send our our hearts and prayers out to all those in Boston affected by this, and all the runners uh, who went to Boston from all over the world to mm-hmm. run the marathon today had to are, are enduring this tragedy. So. Uh, Ten seconds for Boston. Okay. Well, again, tonight is a very special show. It's about caregiving. Mm -hmm. It is the elephant in the room all the time around Mm -hmm. the universe that we inhabit. We tend to focus mostly on that which is impacted directly by cancer. And... I want to point out during the opening segment here before we get to Sally is that our partners over at Cancer Treatment Centers of America mm-hmm. today published, and we'll put this online tomorrow, a wonderful new research study, a social research study. They interviewed 1,000 cancer patients and 1,000 cancer caregivers. Now, the patients were 35 and older, but the caregivers were 18 and older. And this was the largest survey of its kind. And they basically wanted to build the differential. They wanted to understand, A, what the patients felt they should have gotten and whether they got it. Okay. And what the caregivers felt their, the, the people they were caring for should have gotten and didn't get. Okay. So it wasn't necessarily what the caregiver needed. It's what the caregiver wished the, the patient had gotten. Got it. But, and one CTCA does a lot for caregivers too. Oh, they do a huge massages, thing, yes. therapy, a lot of different. Well, last week's show we discussed stress. this too. We had yep. CTC on the show last week. We discussed it. We had um, Churchill, uh, Jenna Churchill, her her husband, yep. um, uh, w- benefited from the caregiver caregiver resources. He had a therapist. He had mm-hmm. massage. They had Reiki. He had 
you know, organic food, you know, de-stressing was really an amazing experience. Yeah. So the whole point of the study was to shine a lens on how caregivers are as equally unmet, not just in what they're not receiving to help them sort of get through it in a less challenging way for their own personal well-being, but their stress is also largely attributable to what they're not seeing mm-hmm. their spouse, sibling, wife, whomever, uh, that's sick, not getting what they think they need. Yeah, I've so, I've heard from a lot of people, not just you know my family, my friends, is about how much harder it is, and many times it's more stressful in the caregiver than the person going through treatment. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, we've done shows on caregiving before, and, and this show is a, an OMG 2013 preamble broadcast because this will be Allie. How many sessions on caregiving do we have? I think we have five different sessions, but. For each breakout, there's going to be one session. So some of them are being, some of the sessions are being repeated, so every caregiver can attend them throughout the conference. Right. So, I mean, that's a big deal. I, just pointing out the fact that we want to be an organization that is known for making a big stink that caregivers matter mm-hmm. and that it is an underrecognized and underserved partner in the fight against cancer and that, you know, what can be done? The whole point of this study is now that we know that like 83% of caregivers did not feel they got what they needed personally and on behalf of their loved one, how do we fix that? What are the, what are the systems that need to be improved and who's going to jump on that bandwagon and spend that money to build those programs and services across the country at these clinics? Well, and even if there are services, a lot of the problem is the caregiver's focus is so much on the patient that they often don't even think about themselves and what they need to do to take care of themselves. They don't always seek out if there are any programs or support groups or anything for themselves until after the fact. And they might also feel bad reaching out for help. Well, that's the thing. It's it's the guilt. You don't want to be a burden to the person who's actually the sick one. Right. But at the same time, you you should be, in a sense, aware and, and... Believe me, there's an equal amount of guilt on the other side, too. You know, yeah. I, uh, my dad knows this firsthand. I feel horrible putting my family through this, but I had no choice in the matter, and it's not an uncommon thing for the patient to feel. Yeah, I mean, I haven't... When my father had cancer, I wasn't really the caregiver. I was aware and I was around. But when my father had his accident and was in shock trauma for days and it wasn't cancer-related... I was the interactor with the with the hospital and the doctors and trying to explain it to the rest of my family and it was very traumatic for me and there weren't I mean there were some resources there for me as a caregiver but I can only imagine going through that as a project projected period of time right um that would just be more than I think I could handle in this point in my life. Agreed, agreed. Well, that's a good actually that's that's an interesting uh segue into our opening uh segment here. Um, the the unmet issues of the patient and the caregiver are spiritual, they're psychosocial, they're financial, they're emotional, but they're also sexual. And that's another sometimes uncomfortable thing to talk about because we are sexual beings. We're human beings, we're animals, we're creatures of this earth, and cancer and any disease gets in the way of our natural order. So uh, I'm really pleased to welcome our first guest. Let's cue her up here. All right, Sally Pope received her B.A. from the University of Florida and a master's in public health from NYU right here in town, where she focused on women's health and human rights. While at NYU, she studied and worked in women's health 
in Mexico, South Africa, and Guatemala. Uh, she is currently the manager of the sexual health department at Pure Romance. Uh, where she started at the beginning of 2013, so she's fresh out. In her free time, she blogs on the rights and health and empowerment of women and girls. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Sally Pope. Welcome, Sally. Hi. Thank you for How are you? Thanks for filling in for Patty. Yeah, absolutely. I'll try to do Patty some justice here. Well, we can make fun of her now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> But I, I, I've been looking forward to having you guys on our show for many, many years. Um, I've been an active fan of who you are and what you do for a very long time. And I was introduced to you through uh, the C4YW conference that you exhibit at every year. And we are national partners with Living Beyond Breast Cancer and the Young Survivor Coalition. So kudos for you guys. Um, but I was hoping you could just kickstart uh, the conversation with what is Pure Romance? Well, that's a good question. So Pure Romance is an in-home party planning company for adult women. We're, we're like Mary Kay and Pampered Chef, but of bedroom accessories. And <laughs> I like the analogy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a way to make everybody understand kind of what we do. But our products are a little bit different. So we have about 100,000 consultants worldwide, um, and this is our 20th year this year, so we're really excited. And how did you get involved with Pure Romance? What drew you to the company? Well, I moved to Cincinnati from New York, and I knew that I wanted to work in women's health. And Pure Romance is a bit of a legend in Cincinnati. As you can imagine, we're in the Midwest, so it's a bit conservative. So to have a company like this in Ohio is a pretty unique thing. Um, but I knew about Pure Romance's reputation and the company's dedication to empowering women and especially to educating women about their sexual health and addressing issues that people don't necessarily want to talk about or don't have someone to talk about. So I was really excited to have the opportunity to work with Pure Romance. So th- there's obviously a very delicate line between this type of product in regular life and this type of product within the context of a potentially catastrophic health experience and the wake of that. So how have you been able to – I mean, Patty's a brilliant marketer. She, she's been doing this for a long time. Now. I was reading that she got the idea on Donahue like 40 years ago, which is interesting. So – how do you how is that balance made obviously it's a very sensitive issue it's it's still kind of like a hush issue sometimes in the mm-hmm. cancer community with even with men and women um talk to us more about how your brand has really broken down that barrier well patty took she's always been passionate about women's sexual health and giving women you know accurate solid information about their health and health issues and opening up a dialogue and communication So she took two different avenues of how Pure Romance and her legacy was going to address women in cancer. And the first was through Pure Romance, she created the Sensuality Sexuality Survival Program, the SSS program. And this program is all about providing women who are undergoing treatment or have survived cancer or have partners who are undergoing cancer treatment with accurate health information and information about the side effects that they're going to experience from um, treatment and the lasting effects that they're going to experience. 
And we also have a special line of products that are specifically designed for women who have undergone treatment. So they're going to be very sensitive products that women can use. Um, and so we train our consultants, and they get SSS certified, and they go out into their communities, and they educate the women in their communities, and they collaborate with national and local cancer organizations to fundraise for research money and to put on, you know, different workshops and community outreach programs to reach the women in their communities. And the second way that she wanted to tackle the issue of... Oh, I think we just lost her. We lost her. Yeah, well, she's going to call back in. Mid-sentence. <laughs> Dear cell phones. Anyway, <laughs> we had weird tech problems like two weeks ago, too, didn't we? We did. That's okay. Yeah. Well, this one's not our fault. She dropped out. Well, she'll call back in in a second, but she's raising a really important point, which is that they, they, they took a lot of risk in walking into the space. Oh, it's very taboo. It's incredibly taboo. Uh, Young Survival Coalition. Oh, I think she's back. Let's see. I don't know what happened. Oh, we oh found it's okay. You. We got back. you. Okay, we got you back. It was okay, the internet great. gnomes. The internet gnomes eat your phone. Okay. Oh, figures. <laughs> well, why don't we pick um, up on, you can tell us a little bit about your personal experience with cancer. You are not, you did not have cancer yourself. Why don't you tell us a little about your background of, you know, your personal history? Sure. Um, well, two and a half months ago, my boyfriend was diagnosed with stage 2B Hodgkin's lymphoma. He's 28, so, he, you know, he's very young and had always been very healthy, and then this just kind of came out of the blue and just, you know, struck us all really hard. Um, so right now he's undergoing six months of chemotherapy. We just finished month two last week, so we're a third of the way, and we're doing good so far. So it's kind of an interesting flip side, if you would. Mm -hmm. You're new to pure romance from the side of the female perspective, but now being a caregiver, in a sense, to your boyfriend who's going through this, uh, how has that, if, if at all, changed your perspective on your business? Honestly, I mean, it, it made me value the work that I do and the work that my company does so much more. I had just started with Pure Romance when, you know, this waterfall of chaos just happened, and the company was so supportive, and everybody I work with has been great. And... I mean, it just personally, it gives me so much more drive and so much more, you know, desire to help these women. And I know to a certain degree what they're going through, and I definitely know what their partners are going through. And it's just, it's different when something becomes personal. I mean, it becomes, it's not work, it's passion. You know, it's, it's you want to be out there and you want to be out helping people. Well, uh, and this is a great way to do that. So it's all Patty's fault, so we could blame her for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I would, know if I go that far. No, no, no. I kid because I love. I, I would. Yeah. Uh, the, the serendipity here is that yes, you had to fill in because she couldn't make the show, but tonight's show in, in its entirety is dedicated to the the act of caregiving for young adults, and mm -hmm. you have been thrust into this world of being a caregiver of sorts to your boyfriend, and that is a whole new ball game that you're being sort of thrown down the rabbit hole for it really is i mean i've never been a caregiver in any sense i guess i've been lucky in that respect but it's just i mean it's anybody who's gone through cancer knows that it's just so different when you're you know you're dealing with the treatments and you're dealing with the medications and the side effects of the medic medicines that are supposed to be helping the side effects and just your whole world kind of gets turned upside down and 
but it's it's bizarre because you just kind of get used to this new role. Like, this is what I do. My boyfriend has cancer. We can't change that. I'm here to help him and support him in whatever capacity I need to. So, And one of the complaints from people going through treatment, um, my doctor was not like this. She probably overshared a little bit with me, but is that oncologists don't talk a lot about sexuality with their patients who are going through treatment, whether it's in treatment. Some people have body-altering surgery, and they might feel self-conscious. Where do you guys step in to help people, you know, whether they're in treatment, out of treatment, you know, dealing with the missing body parts or scars or whatever it is they might feel self-conscious about? Where does Pure Romance step in? Well, this is really where our SSS consultants just, I mean, they're amazing. They... We train them on, you know, all the whole array of different side effects that cancer, people with cancer and survivors of cancer are going to experience. And so we really, I mean, we try to fill that void in that sense. We're not medical professionals, but we're there to just let them know, like, these things can happen. These do happen. Here's, you know, here's some information about, you know, what you're experiencing and what you're going through. And also through Patty's nonprofit, the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health, we do a lot of fundraising and we give a lot of research grants to help fund the research um, to be able to pro- provide women with information about what they're experiencing and what they're going through. Well, I, I think what you guys are doing is really quite extraordinary. Um, were you at the C4W conference this February? I was not, unfortunately. I was traveling at that time, I believe, for something else, a previously arranged work trip. Okay, well, you missed you missed what I heard was a quite an incredible experience, as it typically is every single year. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to ask you, you know, your thoughts on what, you know, again, I'm going, sort of digging into the fact that you kind of, you are now a member of Stupid Cancer by proxy and your boyfriend as well as young adults mm-hmm. with can, affected by cancer. So welcome to our club that no one wants to belong to. Um, <laughs> so, well, thank you. you know, in terms of, like, a lot of, this in, actually, this entire conversation about caregiving has nothing to do with research in the laboratories or medicine per se or, or clinical trials. It's really the lifestyle of how everything gets so disrupted from your, your expectation. It, we, we have a wonderful survivor in one of our videos that says that you know, you're at a time in your life where you're supposed to be taking 10 steps forward and you take two steps back every hour. And you're now kind of in that that situation with with our our little microcosm here so what what are your thoughts on the the balance between you know cancer research and support for caregivers out there that's a good question i mean there's definitely you want the research to, sub, to so that you know really what to expect and you know what's happening like what's happening to you is happening to other people, and that's really important. And it, it helps the medical professionals also know what, you know, cancer survivors and people with cancer are going through so that then they can recognize these are side effects, these are problems. Like this is the, these are the issues that we need to address with people. Um, but also it's it's so different for everybody, and especially, I mean, it's so great to, like, talk to other caregivers and talk to other people with cancer and hear their stories, too, because there's there's so much that helps you and helps you, helps you deal with everything and kind of helps you heal from the shock of the entire situation that you're thrust into when you can just kind of get the anecdotal 
you know, evidence where you're just talking to people and sharing stories, and that also normalizes what you're going through and lets you know that you're not the only one who's going through this, and there are people out there that you can talk to. Exactly. I see you have a rich history of of, um, of doing very interesting things. <laughs> I, 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 I was stalking your LinkedIn profile, and I couldn't help but see that you spent two years at NYU in naturopathic medicine for global health, and then you went off to Mexico and Guatemala. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, how has life lived there? Did you encounter disease in those communities, and, and is there a completely different ethos and pathos to the way people understand their sexuality and health? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the diseases I saw mostly when I was in other countries was a lot of, it was it was diabetes, it was HIV AIDS. It wasn't so much, I really honestly didn't see cancer that much. You know, it was, it was, it was very different, and I know cancer is there, and that's definitely happening as happening to people there as well. But um, it's just it was it the way that they handle it is very different. I mean, they don't have the healthcare system in a lot of countries that we have here. Not saying that we're the best, but it's just different. And the way that they deal with it, and the way that sex is just not even talked about or touched upon. Is, is it's startling because I mean a lot of times you know especially when you're talking about HIV and AIDS, sex plays a huge role in that, and people need to be talking about it and talking about it to medical profession professionals who have the resources to help them, but it's just not there. One of the questions I want to talk to you about is, you know, these people are consultants who go into people's homes and they have the parties, kind of like when you have the candle party, the jewelry party, and mm-hmm. you know. How do your people are, very, are much more different? They're dealing with something that's a little more taboo, much more sensitive. How do you guys do? You guys have a special training program for your consultants to specifically, you know, work with survivors and people who have have had cancer and other diseases. The SSS program that we have is really the one that's it's it's very specific to dealing with people who've dealt with cancer. But we also we're constantly training our consultants you know, to have a better business, but we're also training them on sexual health. We do touch on these issues, and we try, you know, to give them the resources to be able to talk with these women and refer these women to the products that could help them or, you know, if they need to talk to a medical professional, to go talk to a medical professional for that issue. The women, I mean, they really serve as confidants for a lot of their customers. These women aren't comfortable talking to their friends, talking to their doctors, asking, you know, family members about the different sexual side effects that they're experiencing from cancer or any other disease. So we really try and arm the consultants with what they need to be able to help these women. Yeah, and it's really also hard to potentially talk with your partners, and it's embarrassing. People are embarrassed. Mm-hmm. They don't want to... They're embarrassed to ask their doctor. Some you might be a female with a male doctor. You might be a male with a female doctor. You know, you just might not feel very comfortable bringing all these issues up. And it's good that you guys are, you know, sensitive to these people's needs and are there to help them. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I have one last question. This is Allie. We have a session on sexual health at OMG. Um, how do our attendees, if they have questions, have access to somebody? Um, with the SSS program? Well, that's a great question. They can email us at Pure Romance. You can email me at the Health Education Department. It's healtheducation at pureromance.com. 
just email us. Um, let us know what your questions are or, you know, the area that you live in, and we can refer you to an SSS consultant and give you the resources that we have. Fantastic. Uh, Sally, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like I said, it's just oddly serendipitous um, that you're unfortunately in the situation. We send all of our good karma and love to your boyfriend and to you for a swift and speedy recovery, and you will have to come to our next major global conference um, in whatever city happens to be held in and join 500 crazy people uh, binging on life. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for letting me come on your show and talk. Okay, thanks so much. Sally Pope, everybody. Thanks, guys. Good stuff. All right, now it's time quickly to hit the news here, and... Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of the social and educational events happening for the Young Adult Cancer Movement nationwide. Something is probably happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out. All right, the big news is the Stupid Cancer Road Trip is on its way. They tackled Boston, D.C., Raleigh, Atlanta, and they're in Memphis tonight. They'll be in Tulsa tomorrow night, Denver on the 18th, Phoenix on the 20th, and two events in San Diego on the 21st, followed up with the 6th annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults live in Las Vegas, April 25, 6, 7, 8, a mere nine days away. There's still time to register and join 450 of your peers from all around the world to at the largest young adult cancer conference of its kind in the entire planet in the history of ever, says me. The website is omg2013.org. And finally, the Stupid Cancer Forums. They've got nearly 5,000 members on there every single day exchanging ideas and building community. This is a premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.org and sign up with one click through Facebook. That was a mouthful. You got it all out, though. I did all right. You did. You did very it's well. It's caffeine. It helps me articulate. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So now it's time for the main event. Anyone know what this song's from? Not a clue. Get Shorty. Anyway. Oh. Chad, you know? No idea? Okay. It's random. We're going to get sued by the FCC one day. I just want to make sure they know what we're stealing. It's not the FCC. It's the people. It's to get short people who are going to do it. Exactly. Should have put Shazam on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Tanya Farman is the founder and executive director of Athletes for Cancer and was a caregiver to her mother and supported her brother while he battled cancer at 19 years old. Chad Rackman is the husband and caregiver of Jennifer Rackman, a Six-year, seven-year ovarian cancer survivor? Eight-year ovarian cancer survivor. And Lou Greenwald is my dad. Doesn't need a description, but I'll say it anyway. I was diagnosed at 21 with brain cancer while I was in college, and my father took the most active role I could have ever asked for to make sure that I got the best care and treatment possible and that my family was allayed of as much stress as could ever have happened. And he is a hero and an amazing guy. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Chad Rackman, Luke Rainswag, and Tanya Farman. Hello. Hi, everybody. Tanya? Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, Tanya. We got Allie Ward here. Hey, Tanya. Hi, Allie Ward. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. How are you? 
fantastic. Just finished up with our first ever uh, snow camp up here in Oregon. Nice. Tanya, you're coming in a little low. Can you speak a little louder into the phone? Yep, no problem. Okay, we just want to make sure you're not using a Bluetooth headset or anything. <laughs> I'm not. And the vultures aren't circling over you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, all right, so we've been open. This is the ironic theme that uh, Sally happened to have been in our club without realizing it. The, her boyfriend was diagnosed with cancer, what did you say, three weeks ago, three months ago? A few months ago. Few so months ago. she's like in the thick of it now. Caregiving, the elephant in the room. I want to just start the conversation by having our three guests just talk about their experience as a caregiver. So, Tanya, why don't we start with you? Okay. Well, uh, I I was uh, not as much of a caregiver, but I, I guess people could call it caregiving. Uh, I was there supporting my brother when he was uh, fighting uh, ALL in 2006 and 2007. And... Um, as his only sibling, and uh, really we have a small family, uh, I drove up to Seattle, to Seattle Children's Hospital, uh, every weekend to be there for him. And we we just had, we connected on just more of a, a young adult level. And there were a lot of small children in that hospital, and, um, and I was someone that, that he could connect with, and then, and I wanted to be there um, as kind of someone that could make it fun instead of so serious. So, um, unfortunately, he passed away in 2007, um, but uh, it's definitely a learning process, and now it's changed my life, so I am now very actively involved in young adult uh, cancer survivorship advocacy. Well, thank you very much, Tanya. Let's head on over to Chad. Hi, everybody. I'm, Hello. Uh, I'm Chad. My wife, uh, Jennifer, is going uh, on nine years cancer-free. Uh, she was diagnosed at age 27 with ovarian cancer, stage 3. And uh, I was just under a year from losing my father uh, in uh, March of 2003 to esophageal cancer. So I was well-versed in the hallways uh, of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Um, and kind of led the charge um, after Jen was diagnosed. I'm like, I know the way, follow me. <laughs> uh, I'm a freaking flyer. That's right. why I call myself at MIU. He had the coal mine helmet with the light on. <laughs> but but at the time, uh, Jen and I were uh, together five years, and uh, we were uh, just talking about our future and getting ready to move in uh, with, uh, with one another. And um, I was only the boyfriend, so... Yeah, I, uh, I remember, you know, one instance where, you know, uh, Jennifer's surgeon came down to speak to us in the middle of her operation, uh, giving us the bad news that the cancer had spread uh, farther uh, than they originally diagnosed, and it was a split-second decision to make regarding the future of her fertility, and, mm. you know, the, the doctor looks at me, you know, thinking that, you know, I'm her partner, you know, or they're about mm -hmm. the same age, and I'm like, uh, you know, who are you? I'm, I'm the boyfriend, and he immediately turns and speaks to her parents. And I was just shunned out of the room. Shunned yeah. out of the room. You can listen, but you can't. You can't speak. Right. Um, and that that was difficult. Uh, I mean, I definitely put my two cents in, but uh, you you don't get a lot of you know, of clout when you're just the boyfriend. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And Dad, I know the story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Lou Greenswag, 
daddy of Matthew Zachary. Um, Matthew was 21 when he was diagnosed with a brain tumor, a medullary myeloblastoma, and a cerebellum. Um, he had symptoms for probably years, but they were so minor you don't take your kid to a neurosurgeon for allergies. But eventually the symptoms got worse. And when we finally got a diagnosis, uh, December 27th of 1995, uh, we were in major shock. I had never taken the course called Caregiving 101, but I had a good skill set. And we all have that good skill set, and you got to lean on that. Um, the main thing was that I believed in taking notes. I'm a note taker, and I took copious notes during every inch of the way down this road to uh, getting a solution and, and getting better. And I even brought the document in tonight for Matt and his colleagues to read. It's 15 type pages uh, of his first year. Single-spaced. Single-spaced, yes. And, and eight-point font. <laughs> uh, Mainly, uh, it was a shock. The family went into shock. The family held together. We all became supportive. I was the lead. I was the caregiver. And I got the best information possible at that time. Sort of forgot about my own self over that time, gaining eight pounds. Uh, I won't tell you how I did that. You can figure it out for yourself. Give vodka. <laughs> uh, that's true. And um, we got him the best quality that was available of, of help, of, of a surgeon, and a, and a post-treatment, and it was what was available at the time, which has changed significantly down the road, and it's a good thing that it has changed. It was overdone. Uh, so I would like to say, basically, um, you have to go to your skill set, and if you don't have one, you got to find someone that's going to be next to you and hold on to you and help you out. So we can talk about that a little later, about the support for the caregiver. Exactly. And and you raise a really valid point. We I was diagnosed in the Bronze Age, uh, you know, and the idea, the very nature of of even the word survivorship, the quality of your life through treatment wasn't even a, a discussion point, let alone caring about the people who are caring for you. So I'd, I'd love Tanya and, and Chad to talk about you know, this may have been, this was a 21st century experience for you. And in the digital age of blogging and social networks, were those of any support to you? Or did you avail yourself, like my father took literally pen to paper to journal this? I'd love to hear from either of you or both of you on, on how that, if that at all, uh, was part of your, your, your grieving and, and your support. Uh, to chat. It, I, it it brought us to our support. Um, uh, unlike uh, Lou, uh, I I didn't take any notes. I went with uh, with what I knew from my experience with my father just the previous year. Uh, so I'm like, okay, uh, I've been through this already. This is what we're going to do: A, B, and C. And uh, we're going to go out. We're going to get some insure, and we're going to stock the fridge with it. And um, right. But uh, yeah, the uh, social media is uh, is what brought us here. Um, my wife uh, started a blog. Um, uh, about her journey uh, with uh, ovarian cancer and uh, Alan Swan. <laughs> Alan Swan. <laughs> Alan Swan found us and, and emailed us and said, "Hey, can we uh, use your blog? Uh, you know, on this page with these other blogs." And uh, uh, before we knew it, um, we were thrust into the uh, the world of the "I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation, Stupid Cancer," 
and uh, went to an initial. So the blog brought us to to physical people, and we right. went to that initial meetup uh, in Manhattan, filled with a, a room of people going through the same things that we were. And uh, I uh, felt like I nearly passed out that night. I think <laughs> Jen, Jen handled it a lot better than I did. It's like, uh, can I open a window? I need a glass of water. Right, right, right. <laughs> it, was, it was completely overwhelming. And that was at that like village condo, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I remember that. So, so Tanya, you had a sort of a, an opposite experience of of Chad. You were a caregiver to your younger brother who passed away, and then your mother had cancer afterwards. Correct. Yeah, and and I the first time with my brother, I did not take any notes at all, um, and nor did my parents really. Um, and I learned my lesson so that when I faced it with my mother, and this was just last year, I was absolutely meticulous about notes. I asked doctors to repeat every word so that I could write it down or put it in my Evernote app, um, and. Um, that that helped a lot. However, um, really, what what helped with uh, my brother was art journaling. Um, he he was a writer. I, I wasn't so much a writer, but he really retreated to art, and uh, I I did it with him, and we just kind of exploded a lot of uh, I guess you could say expression and just get it out on paper and on canvas um, in, in the hospital bed. So. That's kind of how we got it out, I guess, um, when we were together. And, uh, you know, with my mother, it was a different issue. I I really reached out to, um, I reached out to people in the hallways of the hospital (laughs) and hospice and anyone who would listen because I I learned the first time with my brother to not hold it and uh, not pretend that everything is okay with myself. Yeah, and I want to go back to Chad for a minute. Um, I can only, I, you know, when I went through treatment, I was single, and I have to say, for me, that was the best thing, because like you said, you had a split decision to make on the fertility stuff, and I had probably about two and a half weeks to decide what I want to do, which compared to a lot of people is an eternity. Sometimes it's almost worse to have too much time to think about it, but I just want to ask you a little bit about your relationship, obviously you guys are now married, so it brought you guys together and you rallied and you were there for her. And, you know, dating is stressful as it is, especially the age you guys were. So how did you guys maintain your relationship, you know, the stress of it and the stress on both of you, um, you know, surgery, everything involved? How did you guys get through it and eventually move on, get married, have kids? Wow. Uh, I know. It does look a lot. You have 12 seconds to respond. Yeah. <laughs> and and we, had, we had 12 seconds to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, uh, you know, Jen and I had conversations before, you know, going into that initial, uh, that was her second procedure, um, but the, the, the major one. And uh, I, I didn't know whether, you know, she had as in-depth of conversations with her parents about what to do, you know, if, you know, if this question comes up. And I know we had talked about it, saying that, you know, we would try to preserve, um, you know, any little bit of fertility um, because we didn't know what, you know, what our future held. And, of course, you know, um, if I'm remembering correctly, you know, her parents want to do the best, you know, of course, you know, the best thing for her as as well as I did. But 
you know, they want to do everything to get you as cancer-free as possible. So right. if that means a complete hysterectomy, then then go ahead and do it. Um, what wound up happening is uh, uh, Jen had uh, both uh, ovaries and fallopian tubes removed, and uh, we saved her uterus for a possible implantation and, you know, use down the road. Um, we were we were just moving in together. Um so I think, you know, that was a little bit of a of a distraction. I was working as a freelancer at the time, so uh, I was able to make my own schedule and accompany her to all the, you know, the chemo appointments and sit there in that uncomfortable lounge chair, yeah. you know, watching uh, if, uh, season after season of Friends on the DVD player in that room. Um, Chin- we were just saying Ms. Chenandler-Bong was our code word today. <laughs> right. Um I, I th- it was it was you know communication and uh, I just felt uh, you know, I had been with this person for for five years and uh, although uh, you know Jen gave me an out uh, you know we sat down and had that conversation uh, conversation saying you know uh, I realize if you know if this is too much for you you know you could you could bail and you know I'm like what are you crazy I'm like, right I'm like, no I mean th- this is I know this is the person I want to be with I think uh, cancer just derailed you know our our, our plans for a for a, for a short period. Um, but uh, you know now we're back on track. Um, but it's an interesting point uh, from I mean, and from my perspective and from Tanya's perspective and your perspective, we had been touched by cancer before we became caregivers. Right, right. My wife's my brother-in-law passed away at 19 years old in 2003, and I was a caregiver to my wife, who was was obviously a miserable, horrible, unbelievably wretched period of time while he was in treatment and passed away. And and we were there for each other, and we gave each other out. Like, the whole thing was there, and we just wanted to stick together. Tanya, question for you and then for Chad. Do you think having that horrible, you know, happenstance in your life prior to your mother getting sick and be, being that carer hardened you enough to not worry about the stuff that might have freaked you out the second time? Yeah, I... I... Maybe a little bit. I think it just, uh, I got to know the kind of the system a little bit, sadly, and, and hospitals, and I, I was much more comfortable asking for what I and my mother needed and, and being very adamant about it. Um, so I, try, I tried to be an advocate for my mother in the hospital because she wouldn't be. Um, and so I, I guess that was maybe the one thing that the first experience helped me with, is to not fear um, the people in the hospital, not fear what's going on, but really tackle it and not be afraid to, to ask questions and find find answers and and ask for what I needed. And, and Chad, I mean, having... <laughs> no, it does. It, it really does. And then having lost your father, you know, and then... You know, it's like the Godfather Three. They pull you back in. You think you're right, right out. You know. Yeah. Uh, for me, it it absolutely um, uh, helped me. If if I didn't go through it with Dad, uh, I think my experience with Jen would have been complete completely different. Right. And uh, especially because um, uh, Jen's parents, uh, you know, didn't uh, have anything, uh, an experience to you know equate this to for for themselves. So uh, in in some sense it was uh, you know like like I said you know lead the charge like okay I know right. where every, I know where everything is yeah it'll exactly. be it'll it'll be fine so uh, so dad I, I yeah. mean we can talk about now you know the the burden well 
we were through an experience, uh, your mother and I, when her father had a brain tumor. It was uh, We were only about, um, I would say you were eight or nine years old at the time. You were in your mid-30s. I was in my yeah, mid-late 30s. And uh, my wife's father had a glioblastoma, multiforme, stage four. And they had one surgery, and they bought him about three months. He was he was gone within a year uh, in that procedure, and I think that forever scarred uh, your mom's uh, life. And therefore, when you were diagnosed with a brain tumor, she was unable to handle it. And that was part of uh, my being a caregiver. I had to be a caregiver for you and for her. Uh, so really, um, it was dealt. I was dealt a double blow very quickly, and. Um, the thing I wanted to bring out to the audience is that when you were diagnosed, it was a pediatric brain tumor, your age 21. Right. Uh, many of the uh, medical people that you saw treated you as a child. Right. And, and we, we went through that. And, I, I, you know, they didn't even want to talk to you because you had a pediatric brain tumor. They're dealing with three, four, five, six, seven, eight-year-old kids all day long. And now they've got a 21-year-old bright male, you know, articulate, and they had difficulty dealing with you. I, the anecdote that I tell, um, you know, to that is I remember when you had we we went to Sloan Kettering every day for the radiation treatments, and at one point I was waiting in that waiting room to go in for the treatments. You had stepped away to talk on the phone or whatever you did, and then another set of parents came in and asked me, um, you know, what is what was your child diagnosed with? Because it was all like young adults who had children, like mm -hmm. single-digit children, getting treatment in that room. And I looked at them and said, I'm the child. And even when we were talking to Dr. Merchant and Dr. Merchant, Davis, yes. they yeah. would focus their attention on you and mom and right. not on me. Cause, so <clears throat> it just it, it was another level of burden. It was a different scenario. Right. Yes. Would you have benefited, question to all three of you, what didn't you have that you now know you could have that you would like the next you to have that could have made it a little easier? Start with Dad. Uh, definitely a support group for me. I did find one. It took a little time, but uh, now that it's much more available, you know, uh, I found it, uh, you know, handling, working full-time, uh, caring for you and uh, your weaknesses, going through radiation treatment, driving you to Memorial Sloan Kettering every day, coming back. Uh, we really went through a lot, of tr a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, and it would have been nice for someone to just, come to me at the end of the day when I got you to sleep finally and just put their arm around me and say, we're with you. Um, it took time, but I did find the group eventually through the Making Headway Foundation. Yes, who are actually exhibitors and uh, sponsors of OMG uh, 2013. They won't be exhibiting, but oh. they are sponsoring some patients to attend the event. Yeah, so they'll awesome. be, they're involved in the Wonderful. conference. Wonderful. Yes. Um, and, and Chad, I mean, you, you discovered uh, I'm too young for this now. Now stupid cancer back then, but was it too late, or was it just around the right amount of time? And, and Tanya, you started the nonprofit. We could talk about that in a second. Uh, we we were uh, I think a year out of uh, treatment by the time by the time we got involved with stupid cancer. So uh, unfortunately, I would say it, it was a, a little late for the for the immediate need. Um, but but I second the thought where I, th I I could have used a support group for for caregivers. Um, I you spend so much time, or at least I did, you know, living in in your own head. I'm like, okay, this is the person that I'm gonna. I know I want to spend the rest of my life with, 
but you know now okay maybe we weren't meant to have a family and you start you know thinking about all those issues um from your own you know perspective I'm like okay um we're not going to have kids uh, it'll just be the two of us you know we're going to have a happy life um and i i think i i kind of got resentful toward um people with kids like you know if i heard the crying child in the restaurant you know i'd be the first person to get you know all you know upset about it um and i think if i had a support group that would have been uh that would have brought me you know back to you know but there are other options right you know a little bit quicker like we didn't have the the uh, conversation about starting a family until you know very very recently because i i feel like uh, i was you know so negative you know on everything because i never processed the entire thing right so i t- so tanya you you have been yeah. the self women doing good award for 2012 you won the uh mass effect award by the livestrong Youngers alliance last year and it, you decided to do something amazing with your life so talk to us about the decision to start a charity and what athletes for cancer is all about well, uh, I'll, I'll, set, I'll go back to kind of what you were talking about with um, uh, what I wish that we had. Um, sure, sorry. Is, um, uh, re- like, just like your dad my, and yourself, my, my brother was 19 in a children's hospital, and there were no resources for pretty much, I would say, anyone 17 or older. And, and uh, children's hospital, I think, took... Uh, patients up to 21 years old, 21, maybe 22, depending on the cases. And uh, so everything was targeted toward toward young children and, and toddlers. And as a sibling, you're also not really getting um, any attention because uh, I felt a lot of the attention was on the, the parents. Um, and so you're kind of in this lost uh, place um, at the hospital uh, when you're there. And... So every there would be all this attention on, on my mom and dad, and I just felt like I was just lost and forgotten. And so I had wished that there was something for siblings, maybe some whether it was a support group or, or someone that just came in and would grab me and be like, hey, you know, let's let's go for a walk or let's let's uh, let's talk or something. That would have been huge. But they were doing that with my parents. Um, and so then to answer your other question, Matthew was uh, in in response to just kind of not dealing with um, with anxiety and, and deal, taking on a lot of the stress of my brother's passing. Um, I had to I had to funnel my energy somewhere and uh, uh, decided to start Athletes for Cancer uh, based on where I found my healing and where my brother found his healing, and that was in the outdoors. Uh, we do adventure camps that are based around ocean and mountain sports activities. Uh, we do surfing, stand-up paddling. Um, we just finished our first skiing and snowboarding camp. And uh, there are three- to five-day retreats that really focus on uh, how to find direction in your life and, and transitioning out of out of your treatment into your to your real life and how to apply what you what we get out of the outdoors and the elements uh, into your daily life and to move forward. I'd love to do a go once go around. We can start with uh, Chad. Just about your advice for caregivers. Um, 
I know that it's sometimes very difficult for the caregiver since it's even harder on the caregiver because you want to help so much and you don't know how to help and you feel kind of helpless. Um, so what's your advice for caregivers of how to help their partners, their children, their siblings, their friends? Wow. Uh, you do, you want to help so much and you feel so helpless. Um, uh, and I think uh, you have to make your significant other, whoever it is, you know, you're, you're caring for, um, you know, know that you're, you're there for them and, and tell them that you, they could be honest with you. Like, you know, what do you, you know, what, what are you feeling? What do you need? And just be aware um, of their physical and emotional well-being and just try to, you know, make them as comfortable as possible. Like the steroid mood swings. <laughs> I know, I know nothing about that. <laughs> Dad? Um, <clears throat> I would say stay focused. It's very difficult to do, but you have to realize you're going to have a, a, a lot on the agenda. Um, you have to take care of the, uh, the person that's ill, there's no question, and provide them whatever care is necessary. But you must stay focused with who you are, because if you're not well, you can't help them. So you must maintain some wellness, whether that's through therapy, exercise, nutrition. You have to stay healthy in order to help the one that you, you, you're working with. Tanya? I, I would say um, physical exercise and, <laughs> and getting outside and maybe sweating it out. Um, that's, that's really, I, I think a lot and a lot goes through my head when I uh, exercise. And it could just be as simple, simple as going for a walk. Um, but I really clear my head and, um, and it makes, it lightens me up a little bit. And, uh, and that goes back to just the overall theme that, uh, that Lou said was just being well, treating yourself well and putting good things in your body. And, um, and getting sleep and drinking water. It sounds very cliche, but it, it helps a lot. I want to throw athletes for cancer a little more love because I've known Allie for a long time now, and I have never seen her more happy than when she came back from Hawaii. So I want her to just talk about athletes for cancer, your experience, Allie. Well, I got the privilege of going to Maui um, with athletes for cancer in November, um, and I had done a couple adventure camps before and a couple retreats, but this was a, much different for me. And I uh, not only was it incredible because it was in Hawaii. I mean, who could not want to go to Hawaii? Right. But I found um, just it, it very peaceful, um, and it was very spiritual for me. I've always had a connection with the water, um, and I was sick. I mean, I was not able to participate all week. Uh, but the staff was wonderful, and Tanya was there, and, and they made everything possible in order to help support. And there was something about going out there on the water on the coast of Maui, looking at the ocean and trying to stay on a stupid surfboard or a stand-up paddleboard <laughs> and not fall off that made me feel like if I can conquer this, I can conquer cancer. Conquer cancer. And it was amazing. Um, and that and then the surfing and just stay, being able to stand up on a surfboard. And I remember the instructor telling us, your body knows how to surf. You just need to do it and just need to stand up. And I never really thought about that. And I think our body and our minds know how to get through crises. But 
or our heart maybe knows how to get through crises. But intellectually, we try to, like, we stress out about it. Right. And when we were put into that situation, when I was put into the situation of having cancer, you know, I stressed out about a lot of things because I didn't have any control. But there's something about putting me on a surfboard where I didn't have any control over that either because the wave was going to do what the wave was going to do. But I was able to figure out how to give my control over and not lose myself in it. And I um, not only, I mean, it was great. We were sleeping on the beach. Um, You know, the food was wonderful. The staff was great. So together the camp was incredible. I heard George Clooney was running on the beach too. (laughs) There was no George Clooney. Um, But I love the fact that Tanya has taken her experiences, and everybody in the room really or on the call have taken their experiences and become advocates for young adults with cancer or caregivers. Um, and and Tanya's done incredible things. I mean, Athletes for Cancer is great. I know people that have gone to camps in March. Um, one of my good friends, uh, Tracy Maxwell. Yes. Matt, you know her well. She went. I encouraged her to go, and she had an incredible transformative time um, there as well. So I can't say enough good things. Well, I think Thank that... Thank you, Alice. Yeah, Allie's on the payroll, too, by the way. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Job well done. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's a really powerful way to, to wrap up uh, tonight's broadcast around the success stories that we've made. I hate the expression lemonade from lemons, but that's kind of really what it sort of is right now. And, you know, as we memorialize those who didn't make it, like Tanya's brother and my brother-in-law, uh, and Chad's father, and my grandfather, um, and my mother's best friend, and, and all the millions of people who passed. We we strive every day to just try to make it a little better for the next us, and 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 we say get busy living. But I think the the it, just personally, and this is just personal. I don't put my friends in different categories, but the fact that Chad is a dad now is one of the coolest things I've ever experienced outside of my becoming a dad. So please tell us very briefly, because Jen's going to be at OMG with you. She's representing Circle Surrogacy. And the, the success story around your life now, having gone through this and weathered the storm as a kickover, is you get to be pooped on. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, well, uh, in, in short, uh, you know, we thank uh, you know, the doctors uh, for saving Jen's life. Um, her um, cancer most likely could have been diagnosed um, years uh, ahead of time. Her uh, symptoms uh, were put off as normal gynecological that time of the month uh, symptoms, night sweats, you know, mood swings. Uh, so uh, Dr. Kathleen Perry, uh, who is unfortunately retiring, Jen's gynecologist, um, we thank you for saving her life. And... Um, and uh, thank you, the people at Circle Surrogacy. Uh, we have a 14-month-old uh, boy uh, through a gestational surrogate, and uh, it's amazing. And we couldn't have gotten to this point with uh, without everyone uh, who supported us, uh, the doctors, the families, and stupid cancer. And, Dad, we've been through a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I know you longer than anybody. Uh, okay. Yeah, I... Um, we, we were very fortunate. You know, there's a certain thing called luck in life. I talked about this earlier with the staff, and you got to be a little lucky. And we got the right surgeon who then led us to the right oncologist who then led us to the, the best treatment at that time, which I know has been modified. And um, But we did get the best, I believe, for Matthew. 
and testament is he's still here. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's the proud father of twins. Um, we even helped you along with those. And, uh, you know, to be a grandpa four and a half times is, is a wonderful thing. Yes. What's the half? My brother, uh, my sister-in-law is pregnant with a third. Oh, okay. I was wondering yeah. if it was like a pet or something. Okay. Oh, I have a pet. I was confused there, too. I want to thank you for inviting me here, and I hope we were able to help some people. No, and this Absolutely. is great. And again, uh, this is the panel, right? Uh, part well, of the panel. It's, we actually have people from three different panels right. in this room. So, Lou, your dad is on the mom-dad parents panel. For caregivers. Uh, Chad, you're on the partners panel. For caregivers. And Tanya is on, oh, geez, I'm going to forget. But You're she's fired. On, <laughs> she's on caring for the caregivers. Yes. I got it. So uh, we have three diverse, a portfolio, a diverse portfolio of OMG nice. speakers on tonight's show all about caregiving. And we have another panel. The fourth panel is led by professionals, and it is resources for the caregiver. Right. Um, so we have three panels with survivors, or I mean with caregivers, and then um, the other ones with professionals. So we have a great lineup for caregivers at OMG. Right. So no one can say we don't focus on caregivers. <laughs> but it's a really big deal. Um, I'm forever indebted to how much you went out of your, you know, life changed on a, on a dime, but everything changed. I just... The fact that you had to leave work every day at 12 and drive me to Sloan Kettering every day for 30 days straight and... 33 treatments. 33 treatments. And, and then two pre-treatments for the casting. Yeah, we got by, hit by a cab. And one 17 of snowstorms. Yes. That winter. Yeah, it was really bad. I don't remember. Too much. <laughs> you have it all written down in the Microsoft 8-point font, single-type, 18-page <laughs> Bible there. Anyway, I'd like to thank our guest. This is a great show. Allie, you thought it was good? Any good? Yeah, it was good. It was, it was just okay. Yeah, not one of our nah, best shows. Just you guys kidding. are horrible. great. All right. Caregivers have a special place for me. I just finished treatment very recently. I know how hard it is. My um, parents dealt with it. My friends dealt with it. I had someone sleep over every single time I had chemo. Someone slept over in my apartment. I had a schedule for chemo. I had 16 rounds of chemo. Someone came with me every single time. My brother came to me several times. He had to sit there when I was being told I had cancer, and he had to hear about plastic surgery and nipples and my ovaries and my eggs and fertility and lots of unpleasant things that he did never want to hear about his little <laughs> sister and sat with me, you know, sat in the waiting room through scans, and he might have fallen asleep while he waited for some of them, but it's okay. But, you know, it's a really tough job for caregivers, especially people who are in my situation where you had no experience with anything. And... uh you guys go through a lot, too. It's very hard for me to put myself in your shoes. All right, so here's for all the caregivers out there. Well-deserved. Well-deserved. So thank you, Tanya Farman, Luke Greenswijk, and uh, Chad Rack for coming on the show. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks, Allie. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Okay. All right, folks, now it is time for our closing Sequence. Here we go. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray! I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. 
Okay, folks, that's our show, broadcast number 262. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests for this wonderful caregiving broadcast, Sally Pope, Lou Greenswag, Chad Rackman, and Tanya Farman. And on next week's show, down the rabbit hole again we go, discussing the pearls and pitfalls of bureaucratic hot mess we call a healthcare system. Join experts Rebecca Nels, Monica Fozzi, Matthew Farber, and for an epic roundtable debate, Survivor Spotlight on leukemia survivor Jen Stewart. Okay, if you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.org or check out all the archives at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck on behalf of Kenny Kane, Andy Goodman, Allie Ward, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday live at 8 p.m. Good night, everyone. Good night. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.